Spooky Tuesday, a weekly podcast where we're breaking down all of our favorite slashers, thrillers, monster movies, and black comedies on the new scariest day of the week. I'm Sydney Thompson. I'm Monica Height. And I'm Chelsea Duff. And today we are talking about my actual baby, Black <laughs> Christmas, the 1974 movie, not the 2019 movie, not the 2006 movie. The most perfect of holiday movies on any level, horror or not, the 1974 Black Christmas movie. And I know that Monica and Chelsea, it was their first time watching it. And what did y'all think of it? Um, I just want to say real quick, while technically it was my first time watching it, a past Christmas while wrapping presents, I did watch The Row, which is another sorority slasher film. So I feel like spiritually part of me had seen this movie. It's different. It's different. It, the it, Row can't hold like, the candle to yes, this. True. But I feel like they are two parallel planes of existence. You know what I mean? Me watching The Row on Christmas morning versus watching Black Christmas. <laughs> I, I, they're, they're cousins of a kind. Um, but other than that, I didn't know what to expect. Um, I really, really liked it. I don't have the same, um, hatred inherent to the reboots as you do. Monica and I have talked about watching the 2006 one. Both love Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Thought she did great in her final destination. Um, so we'll check those out later. But this I thought was wonderful um I thought everybody's fur coat was so sexy I just you know I think um we'll get into this more later but right off the bat I was like oh those two girls are girlfriends it gave me a lot of what I wanted yeah I mean from the get-go I was enthralled and enamored with this movie um mostly because of Barb. <laughs> um, and I texted uh, Sydney and Chelsea while we were watching it. And I was like, this might not be the gayest movie that we've watched, but this is the gayest I've felt watching one of our movies so far. And and that's like kind of a summation for me. I was having a really, really wonderful time. Um, I'm also like really obsessed with 70s aesthetic. If you've come to my house, you would know that it's really obvious. It's kind of sad how obvious it is. And so I was just living for this. It was beautiful. Every aspect of it. And like, honestly, really quality film, like through and through. Uh, funny, hot barb. I was spooked. What more can I ask for? <laughs> All right. So if 
you haven't seen this movie, which what are you doing? Go stop everything you're doing and watch this immediately. Seriously. Um, uh, the movie is basically a g- group of sorority girls, like right before Christmas break, get stalked by a spooky stranger. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I mean, not to get into too many spoilers right fucking off the bat, um, but to get into a spoiler right off the bat, he stays a spooky stranger, like, the whole time, which is so extra spooky to me. You know what I mean? Like, apparently, I don't know if there was, like, a novelization, I don't remember, or if there was just, like, a longer version of the script initially, that would have been, like, three and a half hours if they filmed it. Um, But there was a lot of backstory that cut out. And I think it is so interesting just, like, not having that information. Like, it makes it a lot scary. It's like we talked about with Blair Witch Project. Like, sometimes when they give you everything on screen, it makes it, like, cheesy or corny or it takes you out of it. And it's, like, Mm -hmm. not as scary as whatever you would have imagined. But when it lets you fill in the blanks yourself, it is ultra eerie. No, totally. I love, love, love that there's never a reveal. You never see more than the fact that this killer has floofy 70s man hair and an eye. He has an eye. One eye for sure. Terrifying eye I've ever seen. Oh my my god. God. But also great hair. Like everybody in this movie has just beautiful, beautiful 70s hair. And it is truly amazing i have a question about this hair actually okay please i want to hear it um so if you've seen the movie you know that there is a character named peter in it and he is dating jess which is fake because jess is also dating phil um who is the girl phyllis but whatever (laughs) technically peter and jess were together um and she got pregnant and she's thinking about having an abortion and that's like their central conflict but so it kind of sets up Peter to be this villain and it's like is maybe he the bad guy we don't know but he also has very similar floofy hair um and so I guess that shot I don't know if it's like intentional to make us think like could that be Peter although I think probably yes but I think it was apparently too confusing because on the IMDb page, it was like there's a piece of trivia confirming that the actor who played Peter never filmed any scenes as this the spooky man himself. Um, so I just like what was going on with that there? Was that just to throw us off the trail? Apparently, the guy who did the phone call voices never was on set. Okay, so in Scream, when Casey and the other characters are talking to the killer on the phone, they're actually on the phone with Roger Jackson, or he was, like, actually giving them the dialogue in the moment. But in this movie, they couldn't, like, hear what any of the phone calls were. They were just reacting to, like, different dialogue, like, toned-down dialogue, and then they added in, like, the really terrifying... Uh, so fucked up pig kind of stuff later yeah um and all the the screaming and whatever so that was like totally like the the phone call aspect of that was like totally removed from actually filming the movie um and most of the time when we saw the villains like hands and stuff like that it was 
the actual cinematographer, like, they came up with the whole rig where he put the camera on his shoulder. So when you saw him, like, climbing up the trellis, like, climbing into the attic, that was just the cinematographer essentially playing the role. Um, Mm. And so I don't know, like, who was the – even in the IMDb trivia, they're like, we don't remember who was the I. Like, they just don't know. (laughs) It feels like literally they just, like, found an extra on set and, like, threw them into the film on those days. They're like, hey – can you look at me real big and creepy? Mm, good eye. I'm going to need your eye for a second. Thanks. And no credit for you for being this literal scariest part of the entire movie. Yes. And then, like, this person where we see the floofy hair is just like, who is that? Was that just somebody on set? And they were like, you look kind of like Peter. This feels like it could be spooky. Or is it just like everybody in the 70s had that hair? I think I think everybody kind of like, in the 70s had that hair. Right? <laughs> How everybody in the 90s had that like short middle part like boy everybody in the 70s had floofy hair. I just think that is just the style of knowledge. Damn. And what a glorious time. I'm like is this the mullet of like the the 70s version of the mullet, you know? Like everybody had had this beautiful look cuz I I need more men with like kind of front bangs ish energy happening in my life like I'm really interested in it it's something that does something to my soul oh man but okay I can't complain because I just got my boyfriend to get the 90s heartthrob like hair yeah like he's got that going on right now so like we're getting closer we're stepping back decade by decade and so one day we're gonna get to the 70s I just does have the 70s porn stash it's true. It's true. He's halfway there. <laughs> I was just about to say, though, that, like, Backstreet Boys front bang thing is, like, very – it's, like, less, um, like, bumped at the ends. But the – because there, there was very straight and, like, hanging down in your face instead of, like, yeah. floating up into the air. But that that middle part bang situation for boys was, like, really a middle ground. That's really – it was really lovely. I mean, that's the most disappointing thing about this movie because my first thought when I looked at Peter was, damn, he's hot. But then I was like, damn, he sucks so fucking hard in every capacity. <laughs> Here's the thing. Peter is the absolute worst, but can he rock the fuck out of a turtleneck sweater? Yes. Ooh, I <laughs> didn't think so. Oh, I, nope, he looked good as hell in that turtleneck. Maybe it's just like skinny men in turtlenecks do it for me, you know? Yeah, I'm not like a huge turtleneck girl, but I have seen and respected them in the past. And that one, it just didn't feel right to me. But also, Peter, something about him radiated evil energy to me from the beginning. Oh, yeah, 100%. It was literally the first second. I was like, ooh, and then I was like, oh. I wrote in my comments, this is in my, not in my comments, in my notes, I wrote, Peter sucks big dick. That's what I wrote once. And then I said, Peter is a hot fuckboy asshole and Jess is perfect and Peter should be ripped apart. And that was just off the cuff kind of reaction. So I think that's, that's, true. that's pretty, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty. My, <laughs> my favorite thing about Peter is the first time we're like our toe is dipped into getting to know Peter is he calls the house and 
talks to Jess and Jess is like, oh, I need to see you later. Like, and he's like, please tell me, please tell me. And she's like, no, this is something I must tell you in person. And as they're hanging up the phone, Peter just goes, I love you. And Jess just goes, I know. See you later. (laughs) Chef's kiss. The most, it's my favorite line in this movie. Like, yes, Jess the savage. Like, this is some hot girl shit right here. Perfect. She's flawless. And it, I think that comes, like, right after or a few minutes after she has this moment with Phil where Phil, who has a name that is gender ambiguous, Phil is a beautiful lady with a beautiful perm and we love her. They have just had this very sexual tension moment with, like, they had their arm almost around each other. They're staring meaningfully into each other's eyes. And then Peter's like, I love you. And Jess is like, I know. And I'm just like, yeah, that's her being like, okay, I'm done with men. And Phil is the one for me. That's what that says to me. I don't yeah, know. I, just, I feel like that's pretty plain. I want to paint um, a picture of this just a little bit more. All of Please. us at least rewatched like the first few minutes of this movie before we started recording today. Um, and I realized when I was watching it that like, I guess the first time that we see Phil, Andrea Martin, by the way, iconic. Um, the mm. first time that we see her, like she is technically draped all over her boyfriend. But when we watched it together um, a couple of days ago with our OG spooky crew, my my brain just glazed over that. And so to me, the introduction <laughs> to Jess and Phil is when Jess is like leaning against a wall and Phil like has her arm up on the wall behind Jess and is like leaning into her body in that classic flirty pose that exists mm. in every like high school thing where it's like the nerd and the hot guy and he leans in and he's like big and she's little and they're like their faces are getting close. Like that to me was that moment. I was like, they're in love. They might kiss. And it doesn't help that Jess has like these hands on her sweater. It's like part of the sweater print where it looks like her chest is being lovingly embraced. And these two (laughs) women are just like gazing at each other. And then when Jess goes to get the phone, she like, has a sweater or something in her hand, but she leans it against Phil's chest, like her hand on Phil's chest, essentially. And Phil like keeps her arm up. So they have this like extra second of an embrace before Phil lets her pass. And then she goes to dump Peter, who she hates with every soul in her body. And she's right to do so. So I'm just saying like that they're in love. I don't, I don't know what else to say. The sexual tension is palpable, okay? You can cut it with a knife. It's there. It's beautiful. And it's real, okay? It is a little funny, though, because apparently um, Barb, your wife, um, was intended to be bisexual in this movie, which I did not pick up on, did not get any vibes about, and yet they have this other canonically gay couple standing right there that they paid dust to in terms of establishing that relationship within the text of the movie like it's there it's on screen so I'm taking it but the fact that they didn't say the words and yet we're supposed to somehow glean that Barb is bi because she like reads a magazine she like has a playboy at some point 
I rewatched this part. Okay. And so, okay, so I just watched the movie for the second time all the way through today. And I was only really paying attention at the beginning, but through the middle. And the middle is when this happens. But she's literally looking at a magazine and it's like the centerfold, like, poster of Playboy, like, where it's like a big naked lady. <laughs> and that's what she's staring at. <laughs> that's what she's staring at. And then right then is when she goes on that rant about turtles fucking at the zoo for three days straight. Oh, so, I okay. mean, that's some big chaotic bisexual energy. As a bisexual woman who is obsessed with lizards, like that seemed really relatable to me. Mm-hmm. Um and though she did not have an on-screen romance with another woman or anything like that, in my mind, me and her were having a romance. Like, me watching the movie and her, whenever she looked towards the camera, that was, like, one of those sort of things. So, it read very true bisexuality to me. <laughs> I also feel like you could do, like, mean lesbian energy for her with the way that she bullies Claire like there could be some sexual tension there you know what I mean and that's why she's so upset whenever Claire is like I don't I don't want to say that Claire's being a prude because Barb said something really awful (laughs) and Claire called her out on it and then Barb was like this isn't a convent and it's like okay Barb that one was on you though um yeah But I do feel that Barb, like, pushing those sexual boundaries with Claire could be questionable. Mm. Well, okay, here's another thing that I realized that completely was lost on me the first time I watched it. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason that Barb is just, like, getting increasingly more and more drunk and bitchy and kind of unhinged throughout the entire movie because at the very very beginning right when we like forgot we like right when we all purposely forgot that phil had a boyfriend same same time barb gets a phone call and it's from her mom and it's her mom being like don't come home for christmas it's all good like no and so she's like super sad that her mom told her she can't come home for christmas and so she is feeling unloved and then just spirals into drinking a lot of things and also feeding alcohol to a young boy at one point as well Listen, Barb is a true icon. <laughs> I just – um a problematic fave for sure. For sure. The first time we watched it, I got that she couldn't go home for Christmas, but then she says, like, my mom's got a place up in Mount Holly. Does anybody want to go skiing? And I thought, like, oh, they're not going home, but she's going this other place with her mom and her mom's boyfriend, and she's bringing friends. The second time I saw the intro, I was like, okay, that's not what happened. But I also noticed that she has an iconic quote that she says to her mom that really sets the tone for everything else that happened with Barb, which is that she says, you're a real gold-plated whore, mother. You know that? And I just, beautiful. (laughs) A real gold-plated whore. To her mom, she says that. That's everything you need to know about Barb right there. Seriously. Wow. That's just like a beautiful gem of her family trauma. That's cool. God. (laughs) She has got a mouth on her. Like every quote that she has is either really fucked up and fun, but fucked up. Or like just the right, what everyone's thinking and no one's saying it. Like I love in the very beginning of the movie – um, the first time they the girls receive a phone call from the spooky, spooky, spooky man, the moaner, as they refer to him, um, 
she starts talking back to him, kind of uh, yelling at him and riling him up. There's a lot of uh, cunt action being said. <laughs> um, and then she says, oh, why don't you find a wall socket and stick your tongue in it? That'll give you a charge. And I was like, oh, man, I wish I could be that cool and say cool stuff like that. Damn. She's so iconic. <laughs> I have a question about the first call. Yes. So, um. Are we supposed to assume that this first call is the killer? Because they say um, he's been calling for a while. So does that mean has he been stalking them and calling them for a long time? And now he has decided I'm going to enter the house and murder them. Because after that, he calls every single time after he's killed somebody in the house mm. and so i'm like okay like they call him the moaner so he's called before so is this him like has he been stalking them outside and has made calls to this house like and that's why he's chosen them or you know does it he random. yeah Right? Has just like some random person been calling them and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I'm also going to call them too. It seemed to me that this is the same kind of phone calls that they've been getting, but they're getting worse. Um, Again, there's so much that we don't know, but within the course of the movie, as the girls start getting attacked, um, Claire's the first to go. But while they're looking for Claire and while they're, like, reporting things at the police station, we also learn that a 13-year-old girl named Janice went missing at some point during the, the – okay, Claire got killed at night. The next day, Janice, like, never made it home walking home from school. Um, so after Claire died, Janice gets murdered. Um, they find her body. So we know it's not necessarily just the sorority girls. In the beginning, Claire also mentioned that there was a townie girl who had been attacked and raped. Um, and that's when Barb says her fucked up thing. But other than that, <laughs> so I I mean, I think we can, if if I am to LARP criminal minds for a second, um, <laughs> I would say. Deliver that, the profile. <laughs> yes, the attacks are all related. They are escalating in urgency and in frequency as he's like moving closer to his target. And that's why the phone calls are also ramping up. Um, we don't know if he has like any attachment to this house in particular or any of these women. I don't think he does. Um, again, it's kind of on the viewer to bring to the table whatever feels right in, in their heart. Um, but to me, I think it's just become like a fixation and maybe he somehow could tell that this house would be like easy to get into. Um, and I have to imagine that any sorority houses would not have been terribly tricky but he's lucky that this one has like this attic crawl space that he can access from an outside window um that he just like climbs up the trellis and gets into so i think he's been the caller um yeah. as like the the random townie girl and the phone calls are related um and he's like creeping slowly closer to them as opportunity allows yeah and I think also, like, I, I definitely agree with you, Chelsea, and I also think that this plays into that backstory that you're never explicitly told, but the 
I think it's the director is Bob Clark, right? Yes. Yeah. Director Bob Clark wrote a backstory for Billy and, and I don't know, like you were saying, I'm not sure if he was ever intending to have it be in there, but um, it was like the inspiration for all the like weird fucked up things that Billy says on the calls. But basically what the backstory is, is that Billy the killer, um, he was abused as a child and locked in the attic and eventually killed his parents. And he always keeps referring to this girl, Agnes, in the call. He keeps saying Agnes, Agnes. And that's his little sister who he tried to kill, but she escaped. And so in my mind, it could be like he's tra- tracking down all these girls and stalking all the sorority girls, like kind of like trying to find Agnes or someone to fill the role of Agnes so he can kill her because he never got to before. So I feel like there's some pre-planning on his part. Um, and, you know. He's obviously got a keen eye. We've seen it. So (laughs) he knew which place to go. But okay, something that's like, I don't know if it's a plot hole or it's just like a misdirection. The very beginning of the movie, like maybe the first scene, like Barb walks into the room and she's like, who left the front door open? And so I thought that he like got in just through the front door when no one was paying attention. But then it shows him climbing like up the wall, like freaking Spider-Man to get into the attic. And I was like, I don't understand what's going on here. I thought he was already in. But, you know, he's got him doing yeah, a lot of stuff. <laughs> I definitely think that was a misdirection. And also, uh, Chelsea, when you brought up how easy it would be to break into sorority houses, um, if... You know, this movie sounds familiar. It uh, happened four years before infamous serial killer Ted Bundy uh, broke into a Chi Omega sorority at Florida State University and killed a bunch of sorority sisters there. And uh, NBC was supposed to debut Black Christmas on January 28, 1978. And they didn't because uh, Ted Bundy killed the sorority sisters on January 15th of 1978. Mm, So the people were like, ooh, uh, maybe we don't do this right now. (laughs) Ooh. You know, uh, that was tasteful and tactful of them. And like, it was the 70s. So it's not, it's not a go-to that they would pull it you know so i'm happy that they had the, the foresight to do that <laughs> i just have to say um that is my favorite imdb trivia about this film and also the way that piece of imdb trivia is written is like watching a scary movie on its own where it reveals that like the movie was set to debut under the title stranger in the house but then two weeks before the big night two female students were attacked and then it like goes through the crimes and then at the end of that piece of trivia it's like the perpetrator of the crimes serial killer ted bundy like it had this whole like climactic reveal where they're like it's exactly what you think did this sound familiar you were right um just its own build up and and a small tiny novella of a movie on its own reading that trivia piece truly gorgeous not often do we find a piece of imdb trivia so well written so as good what is as the movie itself <laughs> seriously <laughs> ma 
my favorite, like when I was going through the trivia, my favorite, favorite, favorite trivia was this is supposedly one of Elvis's favorite Christmas movies. And they were like, it was a tradition. You know, he watched it every year, but this movie came out in 1974 and he uh, died in 1977. So while it was a short lived tradition, I have carried on his personal tradition and watch it every year around this time. Because Amazing. not only do I love 70s horror, I love Elvis. That's important. And I think you are carrying on his legacy. It's beautiful. Um, I, oh, my. Oh, my goodness. Here is another through line. Yes, last week was Gremlins. But the week before that was The Lodge. Elvis's granddaughter. Wow. Look at that. <laughs> God, you know, we plan this all out ahead of time. We are actually geniuses, but sometimes we don't know until later. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it's called an Easter egg, you know? It's like a little uh, secret hidden tidbit. You just have to have like a really keen ear to hear it, you know? Sometimes they um, are even from us. Yes. <laughs> We are three beautiful idiots. It's so that, will, that should be the real title of the podcast, not just that one episode. <laughs> I don't know. Just oh um, in terms of other celebrity fans, real quick, we also have to give a shout out to Steve Martin, who, when he met the actress who plays Jess, he told her she was in one of his favorite movies. She thought he was talking about Romeo and Juliet, and then he was like, "No, Black Christmas." And he said he had seen it 27 times. And at the time he said that, it had only been 10 years since the movie came out. And so that means he watches it like three times a year. And that is also iconic. Wow. I like that he had such a specific number too. As someone who really likes decimals in my rating system, I really appreciate that. Man, I wish we would have planned this better and got Steve Martin on this episode of the podcast. I know, Shucks, if I could just call it Steve Martin. Hello, Steve Martin. I, <laughs> I, I've got him on speed dial. It's too bad. <laughs> okay, oh back God. to the movie. Um, We were talking about the spooky stuff in the beginning and we were talking about the phone calls. I actually have a question about the very first phone call. It's very important to me. Um... You know, he's talking, uh, he, he's so passionate about Cunnilingus and good for him and everyone should be. Um, but he, one good thing about him. Yeah. He's, he's doing a lot of, I want to lick your pretty pig clit and all of that kind of talk, which mm-hmm. sure. Um, Love but that. there, if that's the kind of, uh, foreplay you are into, who are we to kink shame? You know, live your life. Um, don't make harassing phone calls, but other than that, like, speak your truth. Um, but, okay, when I first heard this line, I loved it, and I wrote it down in my notes, and I thought it was such a good quote, and not because, um, I think that the spooky should have said it, but because I thought it was a well-written moment in the script. And then when I was rewatching the info that when I was rewatching the intro just now, um, what I thought was the line was not what was in the subtitles. And now I don't understand. And it's not what I, okay. I'm just going to cut to the chase. What I wrote, <laughs> what I wrote in my notes is I'll lick your pretty pig clit. I'm like a tuning fork, baby. And I was like, that is so clever because a tuning fork, when you like clang it, it vibrates really fast. You know what I mean? So yeah. like when you're yeah. talking about clits and 
cunnilingus and, and all that, that. Something that vibrates really fast. That's and it thematic, get, you know? And it helps you get to that perfect frequency, you know? Sure. Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, that's all same vibes. Um, But the subtitles when I was watching it just now is I'll lick your pretty pig clit. I'm like a tuna farm baby. Like, that's wrong. <laughs> That's wrong. You think the subtitle is wrong? I heard it right. Because <laughs> I can't make sense. <laughs> I can't stop. <laughs> I cannot make sense of. I'm a tuna. First, I say I'm a tuna farm baby. Pigs will eat anything. It's an illusion to how pigs will eat anything, which is scary in its own sense. And then it's like, but it's a tuna farm. Those are fish. And then I was like, okay, you could also stretch and people say, you know, I, I don't think that vaginas have anything to do with fish personally. Um, I disagree with that stereotype, but it's out there often enough that I can see why someone would write that in. Um, but also fish farming, I don't know how that's gonna you know what like, I, I'm really struggling to connect the dots here I can't make it make sense you think just the subtitle is wrong but I will say that I am crying and this is the second episode that I've cried on now <laughs> but like could you imagine like you're in the mood, like in the mood in the moment and the guy's like I'm like I'm going to Google this because now I'm upset. (laughs) This is the least hot thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I'm like a tuning fork, baby. That's a good-ass line. Yeah, that's a great line. I'm a tuna farm, baby. That's different. (laughs) Is this in the quotes on IMDb, baby? Does anybody know? (laughs) I truly... I'm never going to get over this. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, don't Google it. Either of those lines, not super helpful. Um, I, I, don't know. I can only imagine that, that would be super helpful. Maybe yeah, when we I, hear Steve Martin on the podcast, we'll have to ask him for his take on this. We will. Yes. We will. I'll call him up after this and I'll see what he says. Um, but yeah, okay, that has got to be a, a fucked up subtitle. Like, please, God, let that be a messed up subtitle. But gosh, I haven't heard a good, like, messed up subtitle title in a while. So thank you. That was really, was really lovely for me. <laughs> I, oh, my God. I okay, love neither all tuna of the, fork um... or tuning fork, fork up here in anywhere in the IMDb <laughs> for this movie. We'll never know. Damn. God, it's one of those mysteries. This is going to haunt me. I saw it and I was like, what? Because I thought it was such a smart line to write. And then I could not understand. And I just didn't know if I'd become like so attached. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Or or what the deal is. But one of the no, great mysteries you. of our time for sure. That's I like- love all of the uh, oral jokes in this movie. Mm-hmm. Where we have Crazy Killer talking about eating, you know, eating you out. And then we have Barb in the police station giving an officer a number that is fellatio 20880. And 
I just I don't understand phone numbers. Yeah, I phone uh, numbers. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is it? What is an exchange? I thought she's like it's a new exchange. F E, and I'm like that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I don't know why he would have. Okay, even if um. Again, this movie is from the 70s, and it is also Canadian, so maybe Canada did things differently. I don't know. Um, It sounds to me, and IMDb Trivia was not helpful when it came to explaining this, and I I didn't Google how do phone numbers in the 70s in Canada work, so I don't have any extra research for you. But it sounded like there's some kind of exchange where it's two letters F-E in this case, and then some kind of number um, that's, like, not that long. So it's not, like, our 10-digit phone number as we know them now that has, like, your area code and then the seven number code and then, like, the country code ahead of it, which is just one for the United States. Um, I don't – I so just, would the F-E, like, would you dial that by, like, the letters – that are on the numbers, like three is like D-E-F I don't know. I have because or two is. I'm I I don't I don't know if she was just being like okay you know when um this is a TikTok trend recently actually also but you know like when your mom is on the phone and then she's like the name is Duff D as in David U as in umbrella <laughs> F F as in Frank Frank um which is how my mom says my last name but <laughs> so is she just doing like the code is F E like fellatio which first of all very funny but very confusing example to be like just fe so i does right because like i spells out fellatio the whole word for him and he writes it down and is letter later rightfully ridiculed by his police buddy (laughs) for being an absolute idiot who's probably never (laughs) fucked because he doesn't know what that word means (laughs) i will say the other police officers laughed at him for like five minutes straight in that scene and i absolutely vibed with how they could not get a handle on themselves Very yes, similar it's very to what just happened to us. So yeah, <laughs> I like that one cop who just his only line. Is, I'm pretty sure that's not true, but his only lines are he laughs at Nash. Like he just laughs at Nash at every chance that he gets, and then laughs at the cop who gets shot in the ass. That's all <laughs> he does. <laughs> He's literally credited in IMDb as laughing cop. Oh my god! That, yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Uh, okay Uh, so one question that i had about the phone calls as well since we're talking about that in sort of um how is billy so talented in doing all these little voices how exciting he should have gone into voiceover work you know he was really good at sounding like a little girl and then like somebody else and then like his mom and then like his dad and then like himself again that's very exciting for him he had a whole career he could have had but instead he chose to kill very rude yes he decided to give murder a career goal instead of i mean but I guess voice work is a very hard uh, field to break into. So who knows if he would have actually made it. Sure, but murder doesn't pay the bills either, Sydney. It's true. (laughs) It's true. It's very, very true. But maybe he was just cold calling like different numbers, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, maybe this one will be my big break. Maybe this will be. (laughs) 
He heard the inherentness in Barb's voice, and he, like, thought he'd finally found somebody from Hollywood. Yes. (laughs) She's got that He's like, oh, an agent. Perfect. Exactly who I was looking for. Finally, I'm getting some good criticism here. Something I can work with. This will help me improve. And then when she starts talking back to him, he's like, oh, okay, we're, like, really getting into the audition now. Like, she's she's here, seeing partners, this is great. She's giving me something to improv with. Amazing. I'm going to tell her that I'm a tuna farmer. (laughs) (laughs) She's going to love that. She'll never see it coming. (laughs) She'll be unprepared. Heartbreaking. Oh, man. Heartbreaking oh, that it really didn't work out between the two of them. Because I could have seen them going all the way. You know what I mean? Like, they could have been the next... Um, who are who are famous two people who go together? Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. That's not right, but... Sunny. They could have been Sunny and Cher. They could have been Sunny and Cher. Damn. They were so close. <laughs> so close. Wait, okay... I really need us to, like, take a moment and give this queen her shine. We need to discuss Mrs. Mack for a long time, probably. Um, Mrs. Mack is the house mom of the house. And as a person, the only person on this pod who is not in a sorority at any given time, you were in a sorority for a second, right, Sydney? A hot second until I drop. Um, I don't know how this works, so please explain, Chelsea Duff slash Sydney. <laughs> um, we didn't have a house, so therefore we didn't have a house mom, but my yeah. brother was in a fraternity, and I think they had a house mom. Um, I don't think she lived in the house, but I think she like came and would cook sometimes and clean sometimes. I don't know if she was like a general like adult figure to go to or how that worked, because to be a fraternity house mom sounds like it could be um, bad. But <laughs> Mrs. Mack here appeared to live on the premises. Um, and uh, everything else I know I'm going to just shamelessly borrow from Scream Queens, which does feel like it drew a lot from this movie. Um, and if I'm recalling correctly in Scream Queens, that house mom like lived there um, maybe as well. Actually, I don't recall Scream Queens as well as I thought that I did one second ago. I don't remember what she got got. The only thing that I remember about House Moms is what I learned from the incredible critically acclaimed film House Bunny, Mm. um, starring Anna Faris. And I do, and Emma Stone and Emma Stone, but we're talking about the House Mom right now, and that's Anna. And Anna lived in the home, did she not? She lived in the house with them, I think. I don't remember that movie either, but she does because I think she needs somewhere to live, and I think that's part of it. So they live in the house. Interesting. I would never choose this job. It sounds terrible, but good for Mrs. Mack. She is a wonderful woman with a series of loud and feathery hats, and I love that about her. Um, She is a raging alcoholic as well. With- oh, but in the best way. Oh, God. She's taking <laughs> She's Mrs. Hannigan to me from Annie. Oh, yes. Except she's nicer yeah, than she's Mrs. Hannigan. She's got the judgment in her heart, but not the hate. No. Yes. yes. Of 
Like, she's grumpy, but, like, she's not going to abuse the sorority girls. Um, no, she loved the sorority girls. Because, one, they kept they kept her young, you know? Like, she was having a good time. <laughs> but, you know, she was having most of the good time because in every nook and cranny of this beautiful home in which they live, she had hidden a bottle of sherry. <laughs> like, books cut out with a bottle of sherry in there. Like, there's one point where she's in the bathroom, and she looks through the whole medicine cabinet for her sherry, and she's like, oh, I didn't put it in there. It's in the top of the toilet bowl, of course. <laughs> That's where I keep my drinks, at the top of the toilet. Perfect. Very sanitary. <laughs> I mean, it's a sealed bottle, so as long as she's not licking the bottle, it's technically clean. That water in the toilet tank is as clean as the water that comes out of your sink. Because what's in the toilet tank, not to get um, too into toilets, but the water in the toilet tank goes into the bowl afterwards. So it's like what flushes away mm-hmm. um, what needs to get All flushed. The it's true. It's true. And I understand that conceptually, but at the same time, sure. I feel yeah, yeah, deeply yeah. disturbed by this whole scenario. Media <laughs> has to Listen. feel that it's a good hiding place for things. So I feel like Mrs. Mac is a pioneer. And as long as nobody is uh, upper decking that toilet, it's perfectly fine. <laughs> oh, Billy, God. though, this spooky Billy is apparently climbing down from the attic and using Mrs. Mac's room as if it is his own. I didn't put that together until like halfway through the movie. And then when I was rewatching the intro, I was like, okay, I see what's happening now. Because mm-hmm. you do see him climbing down in between the call from Barb's mom and the call from the moaner. Um, and then at some point, when they're talking to the police about the spooky phone calls, there is a throwaway line that is actually rich with information where they say, yes, there's a second phone in the house, but it's a different number and a different line. And that's the phone in Mrs. Mac's room that we later realize while Billy or whatever you want to call him, whatever his name is, Mr. Spooky has been in the house. That's what he's been using to make the phone calls. Mm. Okay. I want to, I want to go, I would just want to like drop some, of my old, old, old horror love knowledge on y'all at first. Okay. Please, I'm ready to receive said knowledge. Okay. So, 1978 Halloween. A lot of people, like, it's wildly considered the, like, of one of the, like, start of the slasher horror genre. But this movie came out four years before Halloween and has so, so many horror tropes that became classic horror tropes. You have, it's a seasonal horror film. And everybody knows horror films love a holiday. Um, You get the killer's point of view shots where, uh, you know, we see him looking at the girls. We see him climbing up the attic. We see him doing all the weird things like lurking in the background and nobody sees him. Um, he's stalking a group of young women, which everybody knows that's what killers love to do. Um, this is the the call is coming from inside of the house, which is such a huge horror trope. Um, the police are useless, basically. Like, they're never going to get their shit together against the killer in the situation. You have a high body count in this movie. Like, a lot of people die. And then you get 
a twist ending, which everybody loves in horror movies. And yeah. this movie has all of those things, which most movies you'll just get like one or two of these things. And this movie has all of the things. It is a gift that doesn't stop giving. And it's just so good. Ugh. I just want to like give a shout out to this movie once again for starting seasonal horror movies. Like this literally paved the way that led us all the way to Krampus. And thank God for that, honestly. <laughs> thank God for Krampus. Thank God for Krampus. Very not good movie, but I did watch it a week ago. And so it's on my mind. <laughs> I'm going to thank God for Black Christmas for another Christmas movie that I won't say just yet. Um, we are watching it next week, so I will wait to give my little ode to it until we announce that in, I don't know, like an hour or whatever. But <laughs> until we get there, just know in my heart, I'm thinking of you, babe. I love you. Can't wait to share you with everybody else. Um, Monica and Sydney haven't seen it yet. But let's talk about this movie before I get too excited about the next one. <laughs> I'm so excited for this. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's so cool that this movie like started or was one of the first to do so many truly iconic and at this point 30, what, four? Oh my God. How long has it been since the 70s? Has it been like 50 years almost? I'm going to die. Okay, that's horrible. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Sorry. I just kind of had wow. a little bit of a breakdown right there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what was I going to wow, say? yeah. Okay, I'm back. I'm, frustration. I'm back. I'm back. Not like I was alive in 74. Like, oh my God, I'm almost 50. Like, no, I'm 27. <laughs> um, but either way, that's scary. But okay, it started all of these things that now, like almost 50 years later, are so overplayed and so overdone. But this one did it first. And it's done it some of the best ways that I've seen. Like the killer inside the house thing. Like... The way that they played it out was so well done in this movie. And, like, the first person camera, like, you in the POV of the killer, like, so fucking terrifying. Like, I didn't realize the first the first scene where you really see that, or the, probably the second one, once he's in the attic, he's, like, milling around in the attic. And let me just say really quickly, like, why the fuck do these girls have all of the weird things that they have in that a attic. carousel horse from a merry-go-round? Why is that there? Why is that there? Why is there a creepy antique horse? We don't want to see it. There's also like a cage of some sort. It's like a I bird like... cage though. Okay, all right. Well, someone could have had a bird. That is something that could happen, but still alarming. And then also like comes into later, but like does every attic have a big meat hook? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that made sense to that attic for me, though, because the opening to the attic is so small um, that if you are trying to, like, store furniture or something in there, you would either need to lift it up through that space or through the windows that go outside. So, actually, I feel like there is a logical justification for that. Um, yeah, this is a tiny opening. Like, poor Ma Ms. Mac and her beautiful booty, like, could barely get through that hole. Like, that is not regulation. That is not fair. That should not have been that in that way. Also, I just don't understand how every opportunity the cops had to search this goddamn house, they were never like, let's look in the attic. They were probably like, oh, that's a tiny hole. I don't want to get caught in there. I'm just going to ignore it. Like, what? Are you kidding me? 
the attic is where anyone would go to hide. Yeah, I will say, um, apparently this is a real house. Apparently it is still standing, but they discovered this and decided it would be the filming location. And once they found it, they like adjusted the script and some of the murders to fit this house and so i have to wonder if the hook was really there already and they were like what if we impaled somebody on this hook how sick would that be it was pretty oh, fucking sick that's canon now that's exactly how it happened <laughs> we will not be taking any other questions about you're like no so, bob i found this hook what do you think we should do with it like maybe uh <laughs> But also, like, good for Mr. Spooky, who is the killer, who we call him Billy because I think that's what other people call him. But he's literally never given a name. He he so. says the name Billy on the phone calls where he's talking about, what does he say, like, filthy Billy, stupid Billy. And it seems like he's talking about himself. Um, so it's kind of like... If we assume Agnes is his sister or or Agnes is someone he knows, it sounds like Billy is him. But he, we certainly can't, like, trust him as a good source of information. So when we yeah, think He's an unreliable him, narrator. I would yeah, say, but it's yes. like, is he Billy? We can't know for sure. Well, and also there's that part when he's about to kill my one true love, my dream girl, Barb. Um and I think he, like, walks in the room and he's like, it's just me, Billy, or something like, oh. what? And, and and then I think he says it again when Jess goes and discovers Barb and Phil's bodies and then you see his spooky eye. Oh. Um, yeah. I just gotta so. say, um, I don't want to skip ahead, but I thought it was very rude the way that he killed Barb because – they showed us this beautiful glass unicorn on a shelf with an enormous horn. And all of us were like, beautiful. And then one <laughs> second later, all of us were like, oh, no, that's going to be a murder weapon. The second I saw it, I was like, Barb will die by that unicorn's hand. <laughs> I was like, you can't have something that pointy in your room and not die from it in a horror movie. Like, Also, okay, that was like... Something that I liked about Barb's character that gave her depth um, <laughs> was that she was a collector of small glass figurines. <laughs> that was like a nice, a nice really little addition. Her out. It's like, yes, she's yeah. kind of a harsh figure. Yes, she's kind of mean, but she has this soft side where she has a glass unicorn and it's beautiful. And all of those little glass swans that she breaks as she is being stabbed to death. And with she likes unicorn. turtles, you know? Like, she's a yeah. well-rounded figure. Yeah, we have a lot in common. <sighs> you guys are perfect together. I'm happy her. for you. I'm just thinking <gasps> about her. Damn. Anyway, we got to talk about, thinking about Barb. I'm getting lost in here. <laughs> um. I want to just, it's a brief, a very brief moment, fleeting moment. Um, I would like to talk about Chris in this movie, who is Claire's, like, oh. almost boyfriend. Wow. And how have we gone this long without discussing him? Thank you, Sydney, for bringing us back. I alluded to him in the beginning when I talked about the fur coats because his is absolutely exactly what I want to talk about. Please. There is a scene. And it is when we are first introduced to the fur coat. And I, this scene for years now has just made me 
feel things, if you know what I mean. And and it is when maybe. Yes, like I feel like a you nice little tuna, like a tuna farm, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but we've learned that Claire is missing and they think that they have run away together. And so the cops aren't really taking it seriously. And Jess goes to talk to him and he is playing hockey. Oh, and so we see hockey mask on. We see a hockey mask. Which I wonder if that's where Jason gets his hockey mask from. Mm. A little food for thought. Style but icon Chris has set Chris. trends for men for decades to come. <laughs> so we, like, our next scene is just him busting down the door in the police station, like, wearing this full fur coat. And he's like, Who's the dumbass that isn't taking this seriously? Like, blah, 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 blah. And he um, is, like, railing on Nash, who is the stupidest police officer to ever police office. (laughs) um, The other main detective of this case now is like, oh, do you know her? And he's like, yeah, I've been, like, taking her out a little bit. And you can hear when he says out... Just the most adorable Canadian accent ever. And because this is a Canadian horror film, there's only two people that weren't Canadian, and it is Jess and Peter. They're the only non-Canadians in this movie. Andrea Martin's not Canadian. Who? Andrea Martin. Um, Phil, Jess's girlfriend. <laughs> oh, is she... Well, I looked it up um, because I was like, is she gay in real life? Because her chemistry with Jess was so convincing to me. And I found an article that was like, gaycanada.com, Andrea Martin comes out. And I was like, really? But then it was like, she comes out as an American because she's not really Canadian. But Canada has accepted her as one of their own. So I don't really know what's going on there. Um, All I can tell is she's American and presumably she has not come out as a lesbian. Um... Here's the thing. She is a lesbian Canadian in my heart. <laughs> a Canadian in the eyes of the Lord. And that's what matters most. <laughs> All that matters. But this movie will and forever do things for me with men in fur coats and floofy hair. And welcome to my TED Talk. Good day. Amazing. I um After seeing this movie, I was... Well, I told all of you, I, I had like several faux fur coats and I am putting them all onto Adam as soon as possible. <laughs> and you need to call up Chris and honestly talk to him about it because apparently this was his real fur coat that the actor was wearing in the movie. I think it was just like kind of a low budget film. Um, and so a lot of the wardrobe was their own, including a lot of the coats. That fur coat was his. IMDb says it still hangs in his closet to this day, which I respect, but also put it in a museum. Um, no, I respect, but put it on your body and wear it to this day. Every Don't day. in their closet to this day. Wear it every day, <laughs> please. Oh, man. Give the people what we want fur coats men in fur coats there were so many iconic fur coats in this movie just like i okay i always put a fashion section in my notes i rarely write anything in it 
But this movie, I was like, Barb's button down and choker, iconic. Like, Chris's fur jacket, amazing. That random other girl in the background's jacket, Jess's pink hat, (laughs) Phyllis rocking another fur coat, Chris's fur coat, Mrs. Mack with her red hat and her plaid suit, that slaps. Like, the fashion absolutely went off in this film. Also, just, like, the, like, 70s, like, wallpaper in Claire's room. I, like, made, like, ten separate texts to you guys just about that wallpaper. I was like, look at the color. Look at the shape of the flowers. Look at that. Where Do you think I could get that somewhere? Do you think they have it? Can If I go to the house, can I rip it off the walls? Like, oh, I have dreams only in that pattern from now on. God, Every piece of art she had was amazing, frankly. Yeah. Oh, my God. The old lady. I totally missed this the first one. But she has a poster of this little old lady sitting in a chair, like, looking like a little cutie. And it's, like, her, like, in six different panes. And then the last one, she's flipping off the camera. So good. I Very exciting. Oh Shows Claire's spicy side, you know. We don't get to know her very well, but she had pizzazz. I love that when after she's gone missing and uh, Claire's dad and Mrs. Mac are in her room to be like, where's Claire? And the dad is looking at all of these posters and is just like, I did not send her to college to, you know, hang out with boys and be a delinquent. And Mrs. Mac is like holding her hands <laughs> over like a lady's bottom. So the dad doesn't mm-hmm. see. Bottom. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. So funny. I wrote in my notes, there's an angry granny poster and I need it. That's the one Monica's talking about. The one yep. he's talking about, I called the nudie peace poster, where there are people <laughs> using their naked bodies to make a peace sign. And then also she has a flower painting that may or may not just be a flower, but in combination with all of her other art, I was like, I think that's a butthole. Um <laughs> when you said that and I was like Chelsea's riled up because I didn't feel that way at all (laughs) I just feel like there's a lot going on with the art in her room Barb may or may not have called her a professional virgin which is rude but Claire knew what it was about and she had some cool kooky sexy shit in there oh yeah she was ready for having a beautiful canoodle with Chris. That moment was also not led to, to be. Yeah, that moment also led to one of my other favorite quotes in this movie. Um, and there were some really good ones. But after Claire's dad confronts Mrs. Mack and is like, why aren't you keeping these girls in line, basically? The second that she gets a moment alone, she says, am I supposed to be responsible for the morals of every girl in this goddamn house? These broads would hump the Leaning Tower of Pisa if they could get up there. And I was just like, that slaps. That's amazing. It's amazing. Mrs. Mack is a beautiful queen. And she was gone too soon, honestly. Like... There was so much more knowledge for us to learn from her. So many great one-liners. So many more sherry-fueled emotional outbursts for us to behold. But unfortunately, she was taken too soon by a a meat hook accident in the attic. Very unfortunate. (laughs) Should, Should we get into our favorite deaths? Or is there more? Do we have more to say? I would like to nominate, because we haven't talked about it, Claire's death as my favorite death because the actual, you know, 
taking place of her death doesn't really do it for me. Like it's very like kind of quick. You don't see a lot. Um, she's getting ready to leave and pack. She's like packing up all her things. And we hear Claude, uh, Claude which cat. is the cat making some noise. And she walks over to be like, Claude, are you okay? And boom, Billy comes at her with what looks like to be dry cleaning. Yeah. The dry bag. Plastic bag. Yeah. Yeah, and just puts it over her head and, like, suffocates her to death. But throughout the movie, so he moves her up into the attic and puts her on this, like, creepy-ass rocking chair. And throughout the movie, we just get, like, really fast, just, like, transition shots to just Claire with her mouth open and her eyes looking, like, like dead and like scared and this bag over her head and we see it like two or three times throughout the movie and it is just so good and like it just so I always for, I always forget when they happen and it's like boom ah! <laughs> I, extremely spooky that she's in a rocking chair that is actively rocking every single time we see her yeah. I that was very creepy to me didn't like it um the fact also, that the plastic like goes into her mouth is like viscerally upsetting to see even though imdb trivia tells me that they like poked a hole in it so she could actually breathe through it um but just ugh, it like ugh, it, it gives me the creepies so creepy and then like really unnecessary but very necessary because it was awesome when Billy like gives her a baby doll to hold and is rocking her in the rocking chair. Very much not okay with me but it worked so good job. Oh it was so weird. Also when uh, Claude the cat comes up to say hello to dead Claire in the attic and like apparently to have that scene go down like the cat would not go on her and so they had to like cover her in catnip or some shit to get the cat to be interested in her <laughs> in any way which I find hilarious makes me feel a little bit better because Claude was like Claire why won't you pet me Claire why won't you pet me why are you so shiny like <laughs> Claire what the fuck <laughs> I need attention yeah I um, mean people always talk about how cats are gonna eat you if you die or whatever I just gotta say like Claude clearly a real one would not be doing that yeah. you know what I mean like totally. No, Claude is a homie. He is not going down like that. I really thought that that's what was about to occur when Claude came up. I thought Claude was about to just like chomp on into her face or something. And I was like, I didn't think we were going to this place in this film. And then we didn't. And I, well, I, I breathed a sigh of relief. So thank God for that. But I really like felt uh, moved by Claire's death because um like the idea of your closet your beautiful closet betraying you in that way <laughs> and killing you is uh, a real fear that I have as well because I have a clothes hoarding issue and um I'm just one wrong push away from the whole thing crashing down on me and killing me as well so that was a little too real for me a little too much <laughs> I don't know what my favorite death is, though. There's so many good ones. It can't be Barb's, even though Barb's death was incredible. Like, it was it was great. But I just can't talk about it right now because it's still so fresh. Um, but I think that 
probably my favorite death, and we talked about it a little bit, is Mrs. Mac because it's just so preposterous. Um, the fact that she like she goes up to the attic to try to find Claude, right? And she <laughs> sees Claire, and she sees Claire, and she does that whole like stop. And then slow motion turn around because she just knows she's fucked and like doesn't even try to duck or anything when this when Billy throws this meat hook at her face and it just immediately impales her perfectly like what force does he have to have to make this happen he is a skill he is skilled in his craft of murder okay he's got two talents murder and voice acting and he's very good at both of them and i don't know i i I loved it and it was also just a very funny death and it you know she's gonna go out the way she lived um as an absolute ridiculous mess but we love her for it (laughs) yeah chelsea what about you um there are actually really only three deaths that we actually like that we really see you know what i mean there's a, a larger body count in general but Janice, we don't even see the body. It's totally off screen. Um, Phil pretty much happens off screen. Jennings, who is the cop in the car, that happens off screen. Peter, that happens off screen. We really only see Claire, Mrs. Mac, and Barb. All three are absolutely incredible. Um, I love Mrs. Mac's death. And I'm so glad I never saw this movie when I was younger because my childhood home the only way to get into the crawl space in the attic was like through my closet in my bedroom and I didn't like that and that really upset me when I was younger um and I was always convinced that there was like some kind of man hiding in there um I think this would have validated a lot of things that I did not need validating and so I I take that death and I I refuse to let it inside of me um I release its energy back into the world I think I have to go with Barb because I love the glass unicorn detail so much and it's so fun and it was so beautiful such a work of art and I just like that moment of writing it in my notes and being like okay that glass unicorn though I need it one second later oh no wait it's (laughs) like very upsetting to me but also the pre-death scene where it's like the second you see it, you think it's going to go down. But then Barb wakes up and has some bad asthma. Um, and the killer Billy just watches as like Jess rushes in and she just strokes Barb's hair until <sighs> Barb relaxes and goes back to sleep. Like that that touched me in my heart. Also, like the last shot you see of Barb before the 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 killing is done she looks like such a beautiful angel red is a great color on her just saying (sighs) she's an icon everything about her was amazing including her death for me like that was just top notch 10 out of 10 okay also like not a because it's never confirmed but um the ending of this movie i think we should (gasps) talk about speaking of death yeah because it's very important um so after uh, they they realize that the call is coming from inside the house, and so the, uh, the, the cop calls Jess, and they're like, you need to get out of the house right now. Like, the killer is inside the house. And she calls upstairs to Phil and Barb, and they do not respond because they are dead. And Jess grabs a 
poker, like a fire poker, and rushes upstairs because that's going to save you, girl. Like, I'm I'm sorry. Like, I would have just left the house. Like, at that she point, tried. every man for themselves. It's no, no, no. She did not try at first. Loud for Phil and Barb. They're oh. not responding at that point. They're dead. They're oh, already Yeah, dead. no. Right? They're just so assume that dead. they're dead. Get out of the house. But she grabs the poker thing, rushes upstairs, finds their dead body, sees the creepy eye, runs back downstairs. She slams uh, the door long- into the killer, first of all, which was so badass to me. She smashes so the door. Yeah. Is that eye and she says, fuck you, and she smashed it. Ooh. Fuck you with your spooky eye. But, like, she runs back downstairs, tries to leave the house. She's locked inside her own house at some point and, like, can't figure out, you know, she's probably in such a panic that she can't just, like, get the lock undone in time. And so the killer, like, snatches her by her hair. Her long, beautiful, her silky hair. You against her. I know. Ugh. And then she she gets away and locks herself in the basement. And the killer's like trying to get in, trying to get in, and he can't. And then you hear a noise coming from outside, and you're just like, "What the fuck is this?" And it's motherfucking Peter. God, damn. the last rage. Still rocking his fabu turtleneck, though. And still trying and to take control over Jess's body so that she can't get the abortion that she desperately needs. He's like, we're going to become parents as college students and raise this baby and you don't have a choice. Like, fuck off, Peter. Seriously. Right. And so he breaks in and is trying to get her. And then the scene cuts and we hear screaming and the cops come in and then we see, you know, dead peter laying on top of just passed out jess and so jess has obviously killed peter but like deserved <laughs> and, and also for like not hot second. bodily autonomy seriously uh-huh and also for a hot second i thought that jess was dead and my heart stopped <laughs> I too was, i was yeah. like if jess dies i die with her so i was really glad that she's right yeah seriously <laughs> But so the next scene, we see a sleeping Jess back upstairs in her bed, and all the cops are around her, and they're like, we've given her a sleeping sleeping pill, she's going to be out for a while, and <clears throat> blah, 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 we just got to let her sleep, oh no, uh, Claire's dad is passed out for, we don't really know why. He's in shock. Oh, he's in shock. Um. And I think they assume that Peter was the killer the entire time. And so Peter's dead. And so they take Claire's dad to the hospital and they leave her alone. They leave her alone. After what? Technically, Nash is there, the police officer. But it's the incompetent police officer who always does everything wrong and doesn't know the meaning of the word fellatio. And he's like, I'm just gonna chill outside. No big deal. Like, they might as well have left her alone. Why is she not in the hospital? She has gone through a trauma. They always take you to the hospital after something like this. Oh, not in the 70s. So... We have Jess laying in her bed, um, and the camera pans to different rooms of the house, 
And then we go back into the attic and we see Claire and Mrs. Mac, because again, nobody has still checked the fucking attic. And we, it like zooms outside of the house and you can see Claire sitting in the window of the attic upstairs. Again, nobody has noticed that she's up there. And then the credits start to roll. And you see uh, Nash outside of the house and the credits are rolling and the credits are rolling and the credits are rolling. And all of a sudden the phone starts to ring. And what did I say about the phone ringing and the killer always calls the house after the phone rings. And so we are left to just assume that he's killed Jess. I don't accept accept that answer. I don't accept I just said this to James when we rewatched the ending. I was like, some people think that he calls the phone because he's just killed Jess, but I disagree. I think that he's just making a phone call to he practice just his to voiceover. He just has a new voice he wants to try out. That's it. It's, and Jess is still asleep, and it's all good and happily ever after. It could be anyone calling, really. We don't know. <laughs> it could be anyone. You know? Has anyone informed Barb's mom that her daughter is dead? Maybe Barb's mom is finally checking in like a good parent. Maybe she's calling to say, hey, you should come for Christmas after all. We could We could decide that that phone call is anything if we try hard enough. It's Mrs. Mac. It's Mrs. Mac's sister, excuse me, being like, where are you, Mrs. Mac? Please come here. I have bottles and bottles of sherry for you. Why aren't you here to drink the sherry? That's what it is. Jess is fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. (laughs) But this is the perfect ending for this movie. The last 20 minutes of this movie is like, this is it. This is why I love old horror movies i'm just like it gives me it gives me chills every single time i watch it it's so good it's so effective the phone just ringing as the credits roll until the credits are done so perfect so beautiful just couldn't couldn't be better it's so perfect and like like so many scary movies nowadays like they have like whatever ending and then like the credits start and then all of a sudden like the oogie boogie comes back and is like scares you in the last second with like that shout out sinister yeah exactly shout out also to turkey from thanks killing (laughs) (laughs) um and you know like that's fun and all and if they do it really really well then i'm like no i've been got but this was so much eerier oh so good and i just was like wow that's it and i'm not sad like i don't always love open-ended uh movie endings but this one was just like true art like chef's kiss divine give it the oscar I love that it's as ambiguous as it is. Um, I I will say if you need someone to hold your hand and reassure you that Jess is alive, um, beyond us just making up excuses for what that phone call could have been, I will say they were planning to write a sequel and originally Jess was supposed to return and be the new house mother in the sequel. Again, not canon, never happened. But that was a treatment for the film that they started in like 2007. Um, And so you could decide after the fact, like that confirms that Jess didn't die. 
Um, but essentially they wrote a couple of endings and one of them just died and one of them just explicitly lived. And they decided not to go with either of those where they just like left it with this hauntingly beautiful, scary moment. Um, and I think that's the best way to do it. And I'm just going to headcanon Jess is alive. She lives to fight another day. She's the ultimate final girl. Um, mm-hmm. But I like that you don't know. I think it's perfect that you don't know. But if you if you need somebody to hold your hand and tell you that Jess is alive, that's me. And I will do that for you. Yes, I am also there, right there with you backing Chelsea up. She is alive. She is still alive to this day. She will never die. She is eternal. <laughs> Okay. Don't come to me because I think she's dead. I'm not open to hearing that right yeah. now. I can't. <laughs> I'm okay. not. Um, please, thank you. And I just we're we're at the point in the podcast where we usually start to talk about our regular segments. Um, but there's one thing that didn't come up before now, and I just want to say, didn't know that this is how um like phone tracing worked back in the day. Oh but my god. Like, there's a guy at the phone company actively like running around to like all the phone tabs trying to find which one the call is coming from. I I mean, I, I have no reason to doubt that that's not how it actually worked back in the day. But even if it's not, what a cool setup it is for like trying to get to the bottom of this. But okay, in modern movies, they're always like, we didn't have enough time to trace the call. You have to keep them on longer. And it's always like, yeah, yeah, technology, whatever. In this film, it's literally because there's a guy running around and he just hasn't like, <laughs> picked up all the ringing phones fast enough to hear on the other end what's going on. He's like, ah, I can only go so fast. <laughs> like It's cardio for him. Just trying to find the ringing phone. Oh my god. No, like, that totally makes sense to me because, like, I, again, do not know how phones work, but my understanding is, like, that's why the operator was, like, a person back in the day. They literally had to, like, physically connect your call with, like, a plug to the other person on the other line somehow. So it makes sense to me that, like, they had to, like, do something tactile to trace a call to. Like, that's insane. Just, I loved... I loved the setup of that. I loved the tension it added to those moments. Um, the phone calls were absolutely awful. There's only so much Jess can do to keep them on the line. But the fact that the police keep being like, you got to keep them on longer. And then the police are also listening. And you can tell there's a moment where one of them is like, mm, okay, these phone calls are maybe more fucked up than I thought. Um, <laughs> I guess Jess has a point that this is like pretty awful to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it's the guy literally running around, so funny to me. It's so good. It's so good. I love that aspect to it. It's not going to be as fun when we watch the 2006 remake because they're not going to have that. <laughs> no, they're just going to have somebody looking at a computer being like, you need to keep them on the line longer. It's not the same like- dramatic effect. Just like tapping very loudly on their keys. Click, 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 click. Click, click, click. That's how you know that it's working. (laughs) That's my hacker voice. Okay, okay. So should we start doing our our segments now? Like I feel like we have we have to we're all in agreement that we have to start. (laughs) Um, We've done a favorite death already. We knocked one out. We knocked one out. We have to do the Matthew Lillard one. Because I want to see Matthew Lillard with 70s swoopy hair. So who would we want him to be? Where would you see him in this film? Okay. 
I I know this will be controversial, but I think he would make a great Peter. Mm. Um, because I want to see him do an absolutely unhinged piano recital, and then after said mm-hmm. piano recital. Mm-hmm damage a piano with a music stand that definitely isn't his piano it is school property but he just doesn't give a fuck i don't want to see him in a turtleneck i think he would look fabu in turtleneck with the little hair oh my god i i agree because like though he would look sexy and fur no doubt i feel like that character chris's character doesn't have the range that matthew lillard demands as an actor um so peter is a natural choice i'm totally with you i think um you you know that i usually like to try and ground my matthew lillard fan casting in reality a little bit of like how old he was at the time i was like oh that's not gonna work in this movie because he's probably way too young i looked it up he was four years old approximately (laughs) but that did give me an idea which is he could be the little boy whom barb feeds alcohol and i think that would be great for him it could be his first movie ever that would be an iconic credit to start with very and much to be a baby thing with this basis please why didn't they let matthew lillard do this why didn't they travel to america and discover him he wasn't canadian unfortunately he's not canadian i don't know i have no idea he could be canadian a well, lot like of people are right now how old was matthew lillard in 1974 and it calls him an american actor so i think ah. american a non-Canadian, so he's oh, out. Lansing, Michigan. Ah, that's close. I also Canada, though. I feel like it should be that is close to Canada. I also like that if you Google "Is Matthew Lillard," the first thing that comes up is dead. The second <gasps> oh, no. thing is married, and then the third thing that comes up is asexual. Okay, <laughs> how do we get the fourth thing to be "Is Matthew Lillard a guest on Spooky Tuesday Pod"? <laughs> yes. <laughs> If we search enough ourselves over and over and over again for years and years, maybe it will come up. <laughs> I think the right answer is Chelsea photoshops it. I can do that. But if you are listening to this podcast and you feel a call to action and you take it upon yourself to search, is Matthew Lillard a guest on Spooky Tuesday Pod? 5,000 times on your own free time. Um, more power to you. We would love that. And I would love you okay. <laughs> It is coming up. Um, and Hanukkah, you know, just ended. So come on. If we could Give make this happen, Max Lillard could be doing one of those interviews, you know, where they like – they're like, you have to answer all of the most popular questions about you on Google, where it's like, yes. what, Matthew Lillard, blah, blah, blah. And then if that popped up and he was like, what is this? And then he Googled it and I could stop tweeting at him and he would find us on his own. Amazing. Iconic. Wow. Can you write a fan fiction about that? Because I really need to see that fleshed out. It really would be something special for me. I think we could make it a reality if we try hard enough. And I believe in us. <laughs> and I believe in you, listener. Thank you. <laughs>
You know what? I should just call up Steve Martin after this and he can probably hook it up. Yeah. yeah he definitely has the hookup. Yeah, hook hook <laughs> oh, man. I really wish I could draw so I could draw Matthew Lillard as Peter and that would just be something I could look at. I do feel he would look better in the turtleneck than Peter did to me. Mm, yes. She's warming up the turtlenecks, y'all. This is good. <laughs> Okay, okay, so next question, obviously, could this have been gayer? And let's talk about it, because there's a lot of gay already within myself and in the film, apparently, with whis- only in Whispers, though. So what would you have wanted to see? I would have wanted to see Jess and Phil smooch. 100%. I yes, I, I would have liked to have been like, Peter, I can't marry you and have this baby with you because I am in love with Phil. And, <laughs> and then Phil breaks into the room and decks Peter in the face and goes <laughs> to Jess. Yeah, I mean, like, we've met Phil's boyfriend in the beginning. I guess he's fine or whatever. I didn't process that he existed. Um, he goes on to be the Santa. And I remember when we were watching the Santa scene, I was like, who's that? And you were, guys said it was somebody's boyfriend. And I was like, no. Um, and I moved on with my life. And then literally in the end of the movie, when they're talking about the girls who are dead, they talk about Phil having a boyfriend. And I wrote in my notes, please don't give Phil an off-screen boyfriend posthumously. She's gay, sir. Um, so it really fully just went over my head, which to me says that this relationship, not passionate, not important, didn't add anything to the film. Um, Phil is in love with Jess. That was clear to me on screen. It was so incredibly obvious. Like, I really thought it was canon. So those two actors, they've got some beautiful chemistry. Absolutely stunning stuff. Yeah. Um, I think it was pretty gay on its own. Could have been gayer. Um, I'm happy to take what we got. In terms of Barb, who Barb, who actually was canonically gay, I thought that could have been more rooted in canon. Um, because Agreed. while I believe she loves her sorority sisters, I also do get a little um, not like other girls energy from her because she's so angry and she's like so mean to I guess Claire mainly, but she's kind of a dick in general. Um, and so when she's like looking at the Playboy, I, I don't remember seeing that scene, but based on your description, like I could see that I wouldn't necessarily know to read that as like sexual interest so much as like Barb is a dirty gal and she's di- looking at a dirty magazine. You know what I mean? Um, so I think if you're going to count that as canon, they should have given it bigger. Um, yeah. It was an absolute whisper, and I could have gone for at least, like, a little yelp of gayness, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Just, like, she looked at it and said, this lady's hot. That's it. That's all I need. Something like that. Something to that effect. But 70s lingo. They could have done it. They could have thrown us a bone. <laughs> but still, I felt very gay, as I said, watching it. And that's always a wonderful way to feel. So I, w- I would say that this is really took me there. So thank you. <laughs> All right, are we ready for Dumb Bitch? I'm ready for Dumb Bitch, I think. Well, am I? I don't know. I'm kind of torn now um, about who I want to nominate because I wrote one person in my my notes and was like, got to be them. But now I'm not so sure. So do one of you guys want to go first? 
someone's got to go besides me because I'm absolutely tied with my two people as well. Oh, okay. I will go. I think the dumb bitch is anybody that didn't look in the fucking attic <laughs> for Claire. <laughs> the spookiest room of any abode okay so obviously the like, man would be in the spooky room please although there was a basement a and a murder did happen in there it just wasn't yeah. anybody related to the other murders um i don't know i it just it feels especially the fact that you can see claire's body from the street outside yeah. that feels like a real yes. mess up how do you have a missing girl you see somebody in the window and you're not like has anyone been upstairs? This very, is very frustrating. This reminds me of a TikTok that I saw the other day where this girl said that every day for a week she waved at her neighbor who was in this window while she was watching washing dishes. She was waving at him and waving at him and she's like, why is he always there? And then at the end of the week, a bunch of cops went to the building next door and she realized that he had been dead sitting in a chair in the window and she had been waving at his dead body for an entire week. So I feel like there, this is this is somebody's waving at Claire's dead body from across the road, <laughs> and they're like, "Nice Claire up there. She looks kind of shocked, but hope she's doing well. Merry Christmas." So you know, wow. I feel yeah, very disturbing. But I feel also you know, as someone who goes on a lot of walks these days, unless you are really trying to look at the tops of houses, you don't. So I can kind of see how you wouldn't notice the tiny, tiny, tiny window at the very top of the steeple at the top of this home. So, but come on, if you're a cop, it's your job to look in the nooks and crannies, please. I guess that leads me to my Dumb Bitch Award nomination. Um, In my notes, the person I was like, it's got to be them, was Nash, the cop who doesn't know what fellatio is. I was like, it's got to be Nash. But now I kind of want to give it to Peter because he's mm-hmm. so rude and he has no sense of public property or property that does not belong to him, which includes um, university-owned pianos and other people's bodies. And I just feel like he sucks and I hate him. Um, I'm glad he died. I don't know why he was being so creepy in the basement. Clearly there's murders happening. There's been the police presence and he's just gonna smash a window and crawl into the basement. Like that's a horrible idea. And even if you don't know there's murders going on, why would you smash a window and crawl into like every, every decision he made was so bad to me. Um, but Nash is so incompetent that I'm, like, really tied between them. Okay, it's just, I'm 100% tied between them, too, because, like, I have two quotes, one from each of them, that just, like, kind of spell it out to you. Like, for Peter, one, the first, okay, not a quote, but his piano performance was truly one of the most abysmal things I've ever heard. <laughs> And rewatching it, I didn't notice how sweaty he is during the performance. He looks like he's going to explode. Um, but anyway, imagine being proposed to in this way. This is a quote from Peter. Now just hear me out. Will you hear me out, please? Now I've lived in one room for eight years and I'm tired of it. Tired of it. I'm tired of having to line up behind six people every time I want to take a bath. I've had it. I'm quitting the conservatory and we're getting married. You just 
proposed to me in the same breath as complaining about a bathroom line. Are you serious, sir? No. (laughs) Absolutely not. And you also don't just tell someone you're getting married. That is the least romantic thing I've ever heard in my life. He is not pro-choice. He is a bastard. And absolutely, he's a dumb bitch. I hate him. In that same line, he's like, not only do I not know how to live with other people, i.e. you when we're married, but I am telling you that I'm quitting what I thought would be my future career prospects. And so now I don't have any plan for the future other than forcing you to have this child with me. Like, sir, what are you bringing to the table here? What are you offering now? You have nothing. Exactly. He's like, piano did not work out, so I will be daddy now. Like, that's what his child brain is saying. Like, no, he's obviously not ready for fatherhood if that's how his brain works. Oh, my God. So, Peter, a total dumb bitch. But, like, Nash, though? Multiple occasions does he absolutely fail at his life. One, doesn't know what fellatio means. Two, Jess calls up the police station and was like, is like, hello, I would like to report scary calls I am receiving on the phone all the time. And Nash is like, we're hella busy and you just told me your address and I have that address written down in front of me from a report, two reports earlier today about that address, but I'm just going to write this off as nothing. And freaking Claire's dad and Chris have to figure out that they're getting, they're, they're talking about Jess back at the house where freaking Claire just went missing from. And he doesn't put that together. Like they never would have figured that out if somebody else hadn't caught Nash's mistake. So Nash is so dumb. And then when they finally find out that the call is being is coming from the house the main cop with the eyebrows who i don't know his name is like explicitly do not freak her out do not tell her that the <laughs> car is inside of the house and then what does he do he just fucks it royal oh my god i try to find the quote that he says like it's just so stupid He really biffs it. Okay, I guess for me, it just comes down to, like, other than everybody who didn't check the attic, which I agree, total dumb bitch move, it feels like Nash is dumb, but Peter's a dumb bitch. You know what I mean? Mm. Yes. Yes. Because he inspires rage in me. Yes. I feel like my hatred towards Peter is more deep-seated, but also it's literally Nash's job to help people, and he's so stupid that he is, he just is hurting more, people more at every turn, and I know that that's the whole thing with cops, but, like, it's just extra annoying this time. (laughs) I think it comes down to my same kind of quandary from Blair Witch Project, where it's, like, this one person I think is kind of a bitch and is inspiring rage in me, but if I have to actually look at what was done and what was the most dumb, um, it was Mike kicking the map into the creek, and it's Nash being completely incompetent at his job. Yeah. So I think we have to give it to Nash, maybe, and also give it to Nash in honor of everybody else who didn't check the attic. Because he's one of those people, baby. He's the personification of that stupidity. (laughs) Oh, Nash, I hate you so much. (laughs) Okay, okay. So is it time to do our knives out of fives? Are we ready to rate this thing? Are we? I am. Oh. I wanna. I want y'all to go first, cause 
we all know what I will give this movie because I love this movie. Okay, well, Chelsea, what was the the public's idea of this film back in the day? Do we have a, a Rotten Tomato? You know that I do. Um, oh, yeah. IMDb has 7.2 out of 10, and on Rotten Tomatoes, critics gave it 71% fresh, and audiences gave it 75% fresh. So overall, pretty positive. Okay, okay. What, what are you thinking your score is? Or do you want me to go? I'm still ruminating. I really loved it. Um, again, if if there had been a kiss between Jess and Phil, it would have like rocketed to the top of the list of all movies I've ever seen, perhaps. Um, and it would have been pretty amazing. Maybe five knives out of fives. Barring that, I thought it was still pretty great. Um, there are, there's not like really anything that I would want to change and I did really like it, but something in my heart doesn't quite want to give it a perfect score. Um, and I can't quantify for you why that is, but I'm still going to give it, um, a pretty high score. I want to give it like a 4.85. Ooh, that's a really good score. Damn. Yeah, okay, I feel you. This movie was so good. It's not perfect, but it was so, 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 so well done. And it was so iconic, and it led to so many great other horror films that were inspired by it. So it deserves a high score, but I can't say that it really, like, delved deep into my heart in the same way that, like, a Baba Duke did and that sort of thing. So I'm probably going to give this like a 4.78888 repeating infinity. Okay. Um yeah, and we do not round up as I always say, but it's it it was so good. And Sydney, like honestly, thank you so much for bringing this film into my life. I have found my wife that I'll never be able to be with. Um and it's hard for me, but it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. So, and so thank you for this experience. <laughs> Five out of five for me. This movie is up there with my all-time favorite movies ever. I love it so much. It's so good. It's chef's kiss. Like, I love this movie. Everybody should watch it. Well, I don't think it is an underrated horror movie. I do think it is an overlooked Mm -hmm. horror movie. Mm -hmm. Important decision. Right? Like, it's not underrated. Like, this movie is so good. Like, it is normally included on, like, all the best horror films. But just, I don't think a lot of people know of it. Because it's not as popular as Halloween or those kind of movies. That's why I will say it is just overlooked and not underappreciated. Totally. I thought that the 2006 one was the original one until a week ago when you told me that it wasn't. (laughs) We live and we learn. (laughs) I gotta say, though, I'm impressed that you gave it five knives out of fives. Um, and I was wondering if you were gonna hedge your bets a little bit like Monica and I did. Because I know for you, Scream is a five out of five. And you watch Scream, I think you said, like, once a month, basically. Um, <laughs> and so I was wondering, if this is a movie that you only watch once a year, like Elvis, could it could it reach that point? But I, I don't think it has to be a more than once a year movie to be special to your heart. So that that is that feels right to me. 
Yeah, this is my every single Christmas for 20 years now. I watch this movie every single Christmas. This, Die Hard, and The Shining. Like, those are my Christmas movies. That's a dope lineup. <laughs> okay, this does... have Christmas at my house. <laughs> this does bring us to our next movie, though, which Ooh. I am excited to announce. Um, I just watched it randomly when I found it on Amazon Prime a couple of weeks ago for free, and I was bored on a Friday night. Um, I had kind of, when we were putting together our schedule for December, we had talked about a lot of movies and I had been like, I don't know that we want to do a Christmas movie for every week in December, basically. It just felt like maybe it was going to be too much. Um, but then I watched this movie and I was like, I was wrong and we need to do it and we can bump movies <laughs> in January in order to do it. Um, it is better watch out. I, I don't want to tell you guys too much about it. Um, the basic premise is that like this teenage girl is babysitting and like there's like a weird intruder moment and things start to go wrong and weird. Um, and I don't don't look up anything else about it. I haven't watched a trailer, so I don't know how much a trailer gives away, but I just want you to come into it fresh and clean. Um, and I'm so excited to share it with you guys. I'm so excited to talk about it next week and to share it with everybody else. I just had so much fun with it. Um, and I can't wait. I'm so excited. I have absolutely no idea what it's like. And I'm not going to watch the trailer because you told me not to, but that's really hard for me because I love trailers. So I'm going in blind, fresh, clean, and blind. <laughs> I have already seen the trailer because I wanted to watch this movie. And then Chelsea was like, no, we can't. <laughs> watch too many Christmas movies and I was like oh I guess I won't suggest this movie then and then Chelsea was like I want to do this and I was like I was right (laughs) sometimes I I don't know things very rarely I'm very excited for this okay well that pretty much wraps us up for this week so thank you for joining us for this Black Christmas experience and listening to me just cry about Barb for an hour and some change Um, if you liked what you heard and you want to hear more follow us on social at spooky underscore Tuesday on Twitter and on Instagram and if you're still on Facebook go to facebook.com slash spooky Tuesday pod and please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts if you like what you heard. Thanks for listening. Bye, Spookies. Spooky Tuesday was created by Monica Height, Sydney Thompson, and Chelsea Duff, and edited by Sydney Thompson. Our gorgeously spooky tunes are all thanks to Tamara Simons, who you can follow on Instagram at Captain Tamara. And our podcast art is by Mary Murphy, who you can find on Instagram at the underscore moon underscore OMG.